All right, here we go. We ready? I guess. <laughs> Welcome to M Vibes Podcast. Home of good music, good libations, and good vibes. All right, so season two, episode four, we made it. Four episodes to record, so welcome back, everyone. Um, we, uh, we, um, Jen, I'm at a loss for words all of a sudden. What the hell? <laughs> Me, I'm at a loss for words. So we kind of have to restart this, I guess. <laughs> we we did realize we weren't recording first, but um, yeah. So uh, we're going to continue down the, uh, you know, our last episode of our little intro, uh, bio intro episodes um once with you know with the change of 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 hosts i definitely wanted us to or wanted you guys to get to know the new hosts and sort of a little bit about them and the background and um you know because we're going to be giving our opinions so you can sort of get to know a little a little bit more about us i decided to go last which is the fourth episode on on the series because i mean you guys have been listening to me talk for better part part of a year actually well over a year now with the original host co-host um but uh yeah, how are you guys doing today? Yeah, well, it's fantastic. This will also be the only two episodes that you will see me. Yep. You might see the back of my head or a beard hair or two, but... <laughs> okay, your, your best angle. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Thank you. Love the sunglasses, Ernest. I'm ready for my close-up. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amanda, I'm, can, I'm not used to being in front of the lights. I know. Yeah, you're always blinding <laughs> us. Now you get to be blinded with us. Uh, Amanda can join us today, um, so you won't be hearing her lovely voice today, um, which we mock as an operator voice. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Just a hook, right? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hook, so. Uh, so before we get started, again, today we're going to do my, my quick little bio. Um, let's talk about what we're drinking, right? All right. That's part of the show. So we'll start with you, Eric. I'm drinking the uh, dry Irish cider, Magners, uh, the original. I always drink this one on my Tommy's, so... Yeah, we're still, Jamie, we're still working on getting you a wider variety yeah. of gluten-free um, things. Can I give a, a, a plug to something I drank over the weekend, though, which sure. was awesome? So, uh, Mutanis Brewery out of uh, Portland, Oregon, did a uh, gluten-free clone of Pliny the Elder. Oh, wow. Called Ooh. Tribute Double IPA. Ooh. It tastes just like Pliny, but it was gluten-free. It oh, was wow. phenomenal. That sounds yeah. really nice. Yeah. Uh, what are you drinking? Yeah, Ernest, what are you drinking? I am drinking Noda's Jam Session Pale Ale. I, I love that beer. Yeah, it's really great. Solid Pale Ale. One of the best in the city. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the one of the premier breweries in Charlotte. And, uh, yeah, they do a great job. Yeah. They really put Charlotte on the map as far as I agree. beer goes. goes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, um, little hurting from last night. So I'm uh, refraining from drinking uh, uh, tonight. But the beauty of that is that Tommy's has a full menu of non-alcoholic mocktails. I'm actually drinking the Grove 42, which is um, obviously non-alcoholic citrus gin, a few dashes of um, Angostura bitters, grapefruit soda, and um, orange slice and mint garnish. It is freaking delicious. Mm. Um, there's again, there's a whole menu. They have alcohol-free whiskey, gin, vodka, and a bunch of other things. My next drink, I'm going to try an old-fashioned with um, alcohol-free uh, whiskey. So we'll see how that goes. All right, alcohol-free whiskey. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah I'm just confused. Confused. is it just it's like an oxymoron? Yeah, flavored. I mean, I mean, 
How do you make a non-alcoholic whiskey? I honestly do not know. Yeah. But, but I mean, I know how Bluffton. you make in a beer. I know how you make alcohol remove wine, but I don't know how you would make. I would. I, no, I have no clue. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> we'll have to research that. That's one. all right. So yeah, I guess we're ready to get started in my boring episode. I'm excited actually about this. Yeah, man. yeah. 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 See you now. See where Javier. Pretty much you know everything about me anyway. So I do, man. So I'm just curious as the songs you've used. Yeah, but you I don't. Picked. I don't know as much. No, That's I know. true. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, in the beginning, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you think you know Javier, but you know nothing. So hold on. <laughs> All you need to know is that I live my life like a French movie. Yeah. <laughs> Brace yourself. Now. Um, obviously, you could probably already tell I wasn't born in this country, uh, just from my accent. I was born and raised in Mexico. I did grow up in a border town, so I sort of grew up with both cultures and languages simultaneously, but technically, I did not learn to speak English fluently until my late teens, probably around 17, 18 is when I finally started kind of grasping the language. It was still very choppy for me, but again, I mean... In the border, our cultures are very Americanized, right? I mean, I grew up with Saturday morning cartoons, even though I didn't understand what they were saying, but that also helped me sort of connect dots with the language and the culture. And, you know, um, so even though I adapted some of the music, even you'll tell by the, you, you'll be able to tell by just sort of the songs that I play um, much later on in life, um, I, I, I always wasn't more extreme genres right off the bat, right? Um, but, so I, I, my family, I, I know with, 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 with Amanda and Eric and, um, you know, they come from very musical families. My family was not musical at all. I mean, my, my parents did not own a radio. They did not own a, oh, a wow. record, record player, not because they couldn't afford it and not because we were like poor or anything, but because just weren't into music. Like there was not something that there was in the forefront. So I remember that I had to go to my aunt's house, uh, my aunt Alma, um, because she had a cassette, uh, like a little mini boombox, not like a full, like, you know, boombox, like a little tiny thing with like, had two tape decks and, and that, that was, that was, uh, you know. She was Roebuck version. Yeah. 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 Pretty yeah, much. It yeah. was a, a Ericsson or something like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, very, very poor, very bad sound, but yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up with, with, so to, to me, music, you know, Again, I, I have something that I picked up more passionately later on in life, like in my mid-teens, um, when I went to uh, high school, when I was in high school in Texas, because I did um, uh, elementary and, and part of middle school in Mexico, and then part of middle school, or the last year of middle school in Texas, and then high school, half of high school in Texas, and they finished high school in Seattle, Washington. So that sort of, that's when my music, especially that move to Seattle, that really blew up my, because I was in Seattle and when the grunge thing exploded, oh, I moved jealous. to Seattle in 93, yeah, 90, late 92, early 93. So I was there, you know, and at that point it had already exploded. So it's not like I was there during the underground era, but, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, but you know, I, what some of the earliest memories that I have of like really like music taking over my life, um, it came with a genre in Mexico called rock en español, which just means, you know, Spanish speaking rock and roll. Mexico has a very love hate relationship with rock and roll. I mean, it was banned for a while to play, you know, for any Mexican bands to play rock and roll, for any American bands to come and play concerts in Mexico. They come until the mid 70s. This was out loud for all intents and purposes. Um, not to mention a lot of the rock bands that started 
you know, uh, 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 playing their instruments once it kind of became okay. Uh, they were just doing English cover bands okay. uh, or English cover songs, right? So you had bands like the Teen Tops um, that were just kind of, you know, doing songs like Hang On Sloopy and, you know, Beatles covers and Rolling Stones covers and stuff like that. Um, so around, I want to say I was maybe 10 or 11. Uh, I don't recall how, but there's this band called El Tri, uh, T-R-I, um, which is sort of like a bit of a Rolling Stones type level band in Mexico. And they actually you know, mentioned that they've always given um, the Stones uh, almost complete and total uh, credit for being influenced, uh, for their influence. The other one is Chuck Berry. So they're very blues oh, okay, and, cool. and, and, and British rock um, mm. influence. Uh, so much so that they have a song that until about, actually last year when I was doing this podcast with Jay, uh, I did not know that, but they have a song called ADO, which is a, uh, a Mexican, uh, kind of like a Greyhound uh, mm -hmm. brand. And it's a direct cover of the Under Assistant West Coast uh, promotion men by the, um, by the Rolling Stones. I did not know The, the only reason why I found that is because I bought a single that on one side I, I had I Can't Get No Satisfaction and the other side I had the Under Assistant. So I played it and I was like, wait a second, why does that song sound so fucking familiar? And I started racking my brain. Eventually I realized it was like, that's ADO, that's ADO by El Tri. So it was, it was a cover and didn't know for 40 years, didn't know it was wow. a cover of that song. Um, so the first pick, because it's one of the bands that really influenced sort of my, my taste in music, is a song by a three called uh, Triste Cancion, which means sad song. Uh, it's You're going to see a lot of, like, again, Rolling Stones influence, uh, uh, American blues influence, and the drumming to me is amazing. It's, it's a little long. It's uh, over five minutes, so I'll shut up now so we can play it. Certainly hear that. Mm-hmm. And all their music has um, sax. A lot of Mexican rock and roll has sax. Hmm. Heard a little bit of a uh, California beach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, If you, it's a little bit of Santana-ish too. We kind of, yeah. you know, like yeah. early Santana. Yeah. Right. That was awesome. Hey, what is? Let's do it again. Take two. Sorry, it's all right. Just trying to get my uh, phone woke up. Fat fingers. Yeah. 
like the raspy vocals too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely does not have a voice that you would say, "Oh my god, this guy can sing his ass out." Yeah, it's just, well, it works. This song is about two lovers that never existed. Yeah. The, the intro is he is, uh, uh, he's like the sun, she's like the moon. And it goes, he's like a god, she's like a poem that the poet never wrote or something like that. It's it's pretty cool. Like, it's cheesy, but it works. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, hear guitar, you don't hear guitar solos very much in tracks either. Yeah, well, this is this came out in the late seventies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that was definitely the time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Then they go through. After this, he's gonna go through a saxophone solo. Yeah. I, mean, I should have picked a shorter song, but we already committed to this. No, that's good. the sax solo and they have a bunch of sax solos throughout all their songs yeah uh, I like their sound especially like in their, their the drummer they, it sounds so raw like it's yeah. it's it, it almost sounds grungy and garagey right it's just oh, yeah. so raw yeah. yeah well once you told me 70s I'm like oh okay yeah. you know, it kind of reminds me of like a Bruce song with the saxophone in there too yeah man. I mean yeah you get oh, that Clemens. Rock and roll R and B feel to it, yeah. really. Yep. Yeah, they love Chuck Berry, um, Little Richard. You know, a lot of like mm-hmm. the the black uh, rock and roll musicians. Yeah. That's really uh, what is part a lot of influences. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In this. Yeah. Didn't uh, Chuck Berry and uh, Keith Richards have a feud? Did they? Oh yeah. I didn't know that. We should make an episode on that. Absolutely. His uh, acoustic guitar that he plays has this large image of the Virgin of Guadalupe. Like it's kind of like a like a art, all of it, and it's got this image of the Virgin of Guadalupe. It's really cool. Oh, nice! Very patriotic, dude. Yeah.
so another interesting thing about them is that they were one of the first ones, if not the first ones, to actually start writing their own original songs in Spanish when everybody else was still doing oh, American cool. covers. Yeah. Um, they used to have an original, their original name, their original name was Three Souls in My Mind, and they just shortened it to Three. Just that's, that's, you can't, we don't have the TH sound. We can't say Three. We say Three. So that's where the name comes from. Um, and then after that, like, um, you know, uh, that sort of, it was a new wave of, of um, Spanish speaking rock and roll. And there was a channel, Channel 5 in Mexico, that one time we were just kind of my brother and, and I were watching television and all these like random. Uh, video started playing for no reason like it was just kind of like a block um there's a show called aguila rock which means eagle rock you know the eagle is a very big emblem in mexico just like here in the states just a different eagle uh it's not a bald eagle so um that's when like to this day i listen to uh um uh, spanish-speaking rock and roll which we call rock and espanol and and it's amazing it's some of the m most beautifully uh fusioned music you'll ever hear because they'll you know they'll take music from all over the world and make it their own and then obviously inject a lot of latin flavor so um you know i struggle with that first song because so many bands kind of would have occupied that but i think it three was one of the ones that took it way back to my childhood because i remember hearing about them when i was before i even listened to music really um then i went full-time and my parents moved us to full-time to school in texas in southern texas um, and the, the odd thing there was that, so like here, for example, the genre of music sometimes also, or at least back in the nineties, the eighties and nineties, more than today, uh, genre of music also dictated almost your ethnicity, right? Like the hip hop kids were primarily mm. African-American, right. the metal kids were primarily white, et cetera. Right. right? So in Mexico, you had those different, I mean, in Southern Texas, you had those different divides of music, but there's no ethnic diversity. Everyone was fucking Mexican. So the hip hop kids were Mexican, the metal kids were Mexicans, the punk kids were Mexican, the cumbia kids were Mexican. So everyone was Mexican. I gravitated to the punk kids. So you know, as soon as I hit there, hit there, I was kind of a bit of an outcast. Didn't speak the English, the language very well, whatever. So I mean, the outcasts took me in, and so I started hanging out with all the punk kids, and I started dressing like them, and I started, you know. Um, listening to all the music that they were listening to the, the cool thing about the punk scene in southern texas is that the punk scene and the metal scene almost blended into one because there were so few of them there weren't there weren't that many kids who listened to that music so i mean throughout the five schools in that city I mean, maybe like two to three hundred kids in the entire city were in that scene right so it wasn't and then also they gravitated to more extreme metal like death metal and Norwegian black metal. So those were the first sort of things that I started getting really passionate about punk first and foremost. Um, and then like hardcore death metal, right. Where another thing. So if you listen to shit like Motley Crue or even stuff like that, was, I mean, that we consider good. Like even if you listen to, to good music, you know, unfortunately the punk and the metal scene, scene can be fairly narrow minded and you would get chastised. You would get fucking ridiculed and, 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 you know, kind of, thrown out of the group so even though i enjoyed other genres of music i couldn't really openly admit it right um that's when i started first listening to hip-hop around that time even though i still didn't understand and certainly had never seen a black person in person at that point like i've never met like physically met a black person there aren't there weren't any in, in southern texas at that time um and i was listening to it but i couldn't really share it with my friends i remember but the first three cassettes i've ever purchased which happened around this time in my life were faith no more 
uh, Epic. Oh, yeah. Uh, Motley Cruz, Dr. Feelgood. Shut up. <laughs> I'm not shaming you, dude. <laughs> and uh, Public Enemy, um, Fear of a Black Twilight. There you go. So I couldn't take any of those to my friends, right? Because when I went with my mom, because my mom took me to Musicland to buy them, I couldn't take those to my friends. They were going to they were gonna say, like, you're, you're, an idiot. you're an idiot. Like, what, what are you doing? It's like, I like this music. So... Uh, but one of the things that really came out of that time as well uh, were actually the last two songs that I'm going to play. The first one, uh, which I still consider one of my all-time favorite albums, is We Sold Our Souls for Rock and Roll mm. by Black Sabbath. And this entire album, to this day, I worship. Like, I worship every song. Um, the one I really wanted to play was NIB. But in all honesty, if we're talking about the impact Black Sabbath, which is the opening, you know, uh, song one, side A, it's Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And that song is fucking amazing. And it just changed my life forever. Like, I had never heard anything like that. Because to me, that 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 We Sold Our um, Souls for Rock and Roll album is one of the most melodic metal, you know, music you, you can hear. Um, so I, I, it, I loved it. So the next one is going to be Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath. Oh. Well, I, you also had a thought while you're, while you're talking about, you know, everybody was Mexican. <laughs> You know, I, I grew up in an area that was pretty devoid of ethnicity. Mm -hmm. um, but yet we still had musical differences, you know, because there were those who were like, there's only two kinds of music, country and Western. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I understand what you're talking about because, yeah. you know, I was, yeah. Okay. We go, yeah. Yeah. But you overcome it, right? Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's I think War Pigs is the greatest metal song of all time, actually. So mm. I don't disagree with you. No. I mean, Black Sabbath, for all intents and purposes, invented metal as we know Absolutely. it. And it was by accident. Yeah. Him yeah. and Deep Purple. Yeah, Deep Purple. And this was so dark, but also so relatable, I guess, the music to mm -hmm. me. There, there are so many groups that stole this kind of right. lead up yeah. Slayer Metallica oh yeah and it's funny you like you kind of forget Ozzy's even in the band until he starts singing and you're like oh yeah that's Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> and it wouldn't have been yeah. the same right it was a combination right. of of uh, his voice and and mm. um, Tony Tony Omi's uh, uh, guitar right, right. And, and obviously drums the drums are amazing too uh, so is the bass lines, but Deezer. I mean, it's, it's, it's Tommy and, and Aussie, really.
It's just haunting vocals. You know, I'd never listened to the whole album of Paranoid till I got older. I only listened to Iron Man on that album. That was it. Really? Yes. Until wow. until I, I got older, I was like, "Wow, Fairies wear oh, wear yeah. boots is an awesome song." Nah, yeah. This, I mean, this is where it all started. Yeah. I mean, having this open the album with this, it's so sludgy and heavy and yes. still hard. I mean, it's well, yeah, well like we I was saying before, it's, it's the haunting vocals. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you know, but I, I love this part where it starts to. And then throughout the album, they incorporate a harmonica and mm-hmm. like, it's just, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Right here. Just hitting that hi hat. So, I mean, Black Sabbath to this day. Aussie Sabbath. I, I, I'm not yeah. a huge deal yeah. Sabbath. Um, I actually, that operatic voice type metal, like, 
Iron Maiden, mm. Dio. <laughs> I can appreciate it, but it's not my thing. I, I just, yeah. I just, I don't, that, 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 I don't know. Not my thing. Oh, but, no, we, we differ in that. I know, I get it. And, and based on my episode, Neon Lights yeah. is awesome. Yeah. I, <laughs> nothing against Ronnie. <laughs> no. But it just doesn't speak to me, right? Just, that's, that's just it. Yeah. Um, so the last song that I'm going to play is actually from this era of my life. I'm going to move on real quickly because after this, my dad and my mom shipped me away because they couldn't handle me to Seattle uh, with my uncle George and my aunt Yolanda, who pretty much are very responsible for me not ruining my life um, the way I was going at that point in my life. Um, and Seattle was probably one of the coolest Seattle in the 90s, obviously was one of the coolest places and times and eras that I have ever lived through. Um, and it's also what honestly shaped who I am today and what I listen to today. And most of my, you know, my lifestyle, my, 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 my views, whether that's personal, political or civil, um, came from living in Seattle in the 90s and sort of going through that experience, which I would not change for the world. Right. Um, Obviously, compared to Southern Texas, Seattle was very culturally and ethnically diverse. Um, so Seattle also taught me that it's okay to step outside of your genre and like things that typically people would chastise you for. Because in Seattle, people didn't really chastise you because you dress like a punk kid, but we're listening to the far side, which we're going to mm. go see this week. Yay. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> That, that bizarre ride is one of my all-time favorite. Oh, absolutely. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll give you guys a full report on that. Uh, but that, that era of my life also taught me that it's okay to be yourself, which is something that, you know, I thought I was being by, you know, dressing like all my punk friends and having the hairstyle and wearing the uniform. And when I moved to Seattle, I learned very quickly that I didn't have to, right? That I was just, that this whole following my punk views and anarchism was just really doing what I was claiming that I would never do, which is just follow the crowd. So when I moved there, it allowed me to just be whomever the hell I wanted to be, which I still consider myself very punk, but I just felt like I did not need to wear that uniform anymore. So I never wore it ever again. Um, I love people who wear it and, and you know, they're maybe more passionate about it than I am. I, I feel that I'm very passionate about it, but I don't feel that it needs to, I don't feel that I need to express it through my clothing. Right. Um, but again, if I hadn't moved to Seattle, that I would have never come to terms with that. Um, that's where I started listening heavily to hip hop, um, obviously, because you look kind of Seattle today. Do I? You do, yeah, yeah with the toboggan on. And, yeah, you know, in, in March. I was, I was going more for like Asheville hipster, but okay, I'll, I'll take <laughs> Seattle. Should have worn flannel. You don't smell oh, there like you go. You're that would have been Asheville. So mm -hmm. very true. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I started listening to, to that, and then I started listening to a lot of experimental things like EDM and electronica. I started listening to, and that also, that EDM electronica phase actually um, um, became even bigger when, I'm, when I was in college in Houston um, because my roommates were, we weren't into drinking back then, but we were really into drugs and a lot of, obviously, raves and techno and a lot of that. Uh, which I still love, like Crystal Method Vegas is one of my favorite albums. Oh, yeah. uh, the Orb, that shit, so all great. Um, but also in Seattle, um, because you know, regardless of what you may think, Seattle has a, a very large country population. I was also introduced to to country, which was reinforced when I moved back to Texas. Um, 
because a lot of Tejano and, and, and a lot of uh, um, uh, Northern Mexico music is based on, on country, American country music. Mm -hmm. But back then, I wasn't allowed to like it technically. I was supposed to like bash it because, you know. So when I moved back, I was like, hey, fuck you guys. I don't care what you think of me. I like this music. I get to listen to whatever the hell I want, right? Mm -hmm. um, you don't get to dictate my taste anymore. So um, that happened in Seattle. I mean, I'm very grateful, grateful for that. Then I moved back to Texas and I ended up at college in Houston. And again, that's when even uh, Houston's also a very, a very diverse city. Um, probably not, not as much as Seattle, but that's where my love for very unique experimental music came into play stuff from um, international stuff that otherwise I wouldn't listen to that. Typically a lot of the DJs um, like club DJs would mix into their sets. And that's how you kind of started learning that stuff. That's also the first time I ever heard uh, Limp Bizkit. So yay. And I actually had that first $3 bill y'all album. <laughs> Not going to lie. Their version of, uh, gotta have faith, man. Yeah. George Michael's faith is fucking badass. Just mm -hmm. tell you saying. I mean, they suck. I hate them, but they have their moments. They have their moments. Yes. The they only good part of that group is DJ Lethal from House of Pain. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. At that point, I kind of that. I think my 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 genre fluidity was already pretty much very well established. I do want to share this as genre fluid. So. That's <laughs> Uh, it, was, it was pretty much established. I but, think we all are. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. But I think that's why we're doing this, because I think we all... Yeah. 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 We, we run the gamut. Yes. Um, so that's it. I mean, obviously, by the time I finished college, it was this was already like 99, uh, almost 2000. There was a huge chunk in my life between 2000 and I want to say 2006 or seven. That I was a black hole uh, for me when it comes to music. I didn't... I was not... I was married. And I, I had children and... Um, I pretty much, my then wife and I, we became pretty much hermits because she was not a social person. So, which by default meant I wasn't a social person. Uh, when that relationship ended, I mean, I had no friends. I had to kind of start from scratch uh, here. In, but at that point, you know, I was already here in Charlotte. So, well, you know, I know all about that. Yes. Oh, yes, you do. Yep. Uh, so, anyway, that's it. That's the story of my life, for better or for worse. I mean, at least musically speaking. Um, and now we have this podcast for which I'm very excited. Yeah, um, but the last song that I'm going to play, it goes back to that, um, sort of late eighties, early nineties timeframe. And it's, um, Jane's addiction, uh, being caught stealing and that's entire album. Again, I still hold it as one of my top five of all time. Um, that, that band cover is amazing. If you've never seen it, I'm sure most of you have seen it. Uh, I had a cassette with the original un uncensored cover. Um, go ahead. What's that album name? Ritual, a little habitual. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you. Perry Farrell's voice, Dave Navarro's guitar. I mean, just everything about this group. I didn't quite like anything they did after that. I did like Mountain Song and Nothing's Shocking, but nothing I, they really did after that I enjoyed. Um, but this this definitely shaped my my musical taste. It's another innocuous lead-in song. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, the first thing I ever saw was the video. Oh, and yeah. the video is fun. Oh, okay. So, so it's, it's kind of like smells like Teen Spirit. Yeah. I mean, the first time I heard it was through the video. Right.
this part I love. In the video, this is where they start dancing down a, a grocery store yeah. uh, aisle, and they're all like doing yeah. like a like a not American Soul Train sort of like. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh god, that's it's been a long time since I saw that video, but yeah, yeah. they're in that grocery store doing it. Yeah, I think the first one I saw was on 120 minutes. Yep, that's, yeah, that's probably where I saw it too. Yeah, I love that show. <laughs> Matt Penfield. Matt Penfield. Have you seen him lately? Nah. He's jacked up, dude. He lost a lot of weight. He's got muscle. He looks Damn. great. Yeah. He was a walking encyclopedia of music. He is. He's like all of us combined into one person. Yeah. yeah. They are playing one of those music festivals. Yeah. Rockville, I think it is. I believe you're right. Mm-hmm. The last time I saw them live was in 2010 for the Ninja oh. Tour with Nine Inch Nails and Jane's Addiction. It they're, was fucking they're awesome. They're also playing Lollapalooza this, yes. this year. Along with Metallica. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, that entire album, I fucking love. I, I just love, love, love. Great uh, album. Yeah, great album. I actually just found a live version uh, with the original cover at uh, Hardy Boys. Well, not Ooh, just last year. Nice. I think I have that on CD. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um, but that's it. Again, I mean, I really struggle with this list. I, you know, I, I, hip-hop, especially like 90s backpacker type hip-hop, is a huge influence on my life. I did hate that I was not able to kind of squeeze any of it in. I just felt that these songs were a lot more relevant to what I listen to now. Um, so, you know, and then like, you guys also struggle with your fucking list too. And all no, that. it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's not easy, right? Yeah. Cause you want to, want to be all encompassing. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, it. I mean, you know, it, it's, I think all of us have done episodes where it is foundational. Yes. And not necessarily what we listen to today. Right. There you go. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Most yeah. stuff is kind of mixed in here, here and there now, nowadays, but yeah, it's, it, it changes daily for me. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, and then the last two things, or the last really thing I wanted to address, I guess sort of the elephant in the room, if you've been listening you know, before, is what happened to Jay. Uh, Jay uh, has his own podcast now, which is fucking hilarious. Uh, it's called You're Not Going to Like This. Definitely check it out. Uh, you just find it on all social media and whatnot. It's just him and um, his friend just talking about everything and nothing all at once. And, man, you're going to be in tears laughing your ass off. He's still around. He's awesome. Great friend. Um we went to where we go, Good, Moody Goody Mob, yeah, Goody Mob, with show, yeah. Goody Mob show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so yeah, he has his own project. Um, definitely check it out. It's you're not going to regret it. It's fucking awesome. And this is it. This is the last of the four little bio episodes that we we're planning on doing from here on out. The format is going to revert to what we were doing before. You're just going to have different people. Um, they're going to be almost um, essays, right, of, of, of things that we're going to discuss. Uh, half essay, half discussion, uh, and sort of criticism and opinion. From the, th- from the three of us, four of us, because Ernest is also going to be here. Yeah. Well, it's going to be. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. Exactly. Although I won't be inputting as much on the conversation. Yeah. Um, unless I feel it necessary, because I will always have a mic. Yeah. Yes. That's, <laughs> mm-hmm. That was that was, that was a, a must. I think everybody should have a mic. Um, we want to see if Kate can get a mic over there while she's pouring beers and shit. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. 
but yeah, so from here on out, all the episodes are going to return to the normal. Um, so stay tuned. We'll start releasing what we're going to do next. So one last thing that uh, everyone has done is honorable mentions. Oh, I didn't do any, right? No. Okay. So honorable mentions would be... Uh, so another Mexican band called Caifanes, and they're sort of like very, very much compare them to The Cure. They started out kind of gothy, even though eventually they developed their own song uh, or their own sound. But uh, Viento, which means win by them, definitely, uh, definitely shaped my, my musical taste. Um, uh, Diggable Planets, cool like that. Uh, fucking definitely one of those songs that I was like, what is this? This is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, uh, uh, Wu Tang Clan, pretty much anything by the Wu Tang Clan mm. is always gonna gonna be up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, what was the other one that I wanted to mention? There was one more. Uh, I forget, but those are good enough. <laughs> there were four because I did think about the animal mention. There were four of them, and I can't remember what the last one was. Uh, probably Vanilla Ice, 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 baby. Wow, there was no punk oh. in that at all. There was no punk in that at vanilla all. Vanilla Ice. Well, so what you say, Vanilla Ice? I'm just joking. Hey, man, I'm not knocking it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's it for me. That's it for these episodes. Again, look look us up for um, everywhere as, uh, at imbibes.com, um, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're going to have the YouTube channel soon and uh, in all platforms, all yep. podcast platforms. So, yep. see you guys. Yep. You want to see some video coming soon, too. Oh, yeah. Thank you, everyone. Adios. But wait, there's more. So when we got into editing and completing Javier's bio episode, we realized that he did not talk anything about his alcohol journey as everyone else had. So uh, we all came together in the home studio and recorded some additional audio and footage for Javier's episode. So enjoy. Journey through the beer industry and why I know most of you guys really. That's how I met you, yeah. Um, Frugal. I did want to start a little bit with, yeah, I met you through Frugal. There was a little bit with music, just kind of get that out of the way. But when I, you know, growing up in that same environment, you know, I, I grew up in, we, in Mexico, drinking is not demonized the way it is here in the States and like most international countries. Like I had my first beer when I was probably around 10. Um, and I had a uh, Miller High Life, which to me is still soul food. I love that fucking beer. I love because that's what my dad used to drink. Yeah. We grew up with cheap Mexican beer, which is Corona. And if you drink Corona, ew, uh, you're wrong. If you drink Corona <laughs> with a lime, ew, you're even worse. So don't drink that stuff. We have really good Mexican beer. So, you know, we grew up with good Mexican beer too. So, w- so what, tell us, since you're anti-corona, tell us what a good Mexican beer is. What, what would you, what do you like? Mm. Like those Eques? Anything like, else. Okay. But, Del Sol? But, yes, but yeah. Okay. So, you know, if you're going to go on the cheaper end, Sol, uh, Superior, um, Modelo. Um, well, do but like if you want to go a little like mid-tier, yeah, definitely do like a Dos Equis Amber, like a Negra Modelo. Uh, Indio, probably one of the better ones. But now... Whatever you think the craft beer boom is in the United States, Mexico has had the same exact craft beer boom. There are hundreds upon hundreds of breweries in Mexico, local, small craft breweries. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, A few years back, my cousin Monica sent me some, uh, the first and only 
craft beer brewery from our hometown in Matamoros, um, uh, which is a pale ale. It was a very British pale ale, but it was still a very good British pale ale, right? Because that's what they're going to do. So my, you know, my beer journey started in the, uh, I want to say early 90s. And the first beers that I had that were not like Mexican beers were Heineken and Grosch. And uh, my next door neighbors um, were much better off than we were. Um, so they had like, all this international beer and then her, their dad brought it to them and they were like, Oh, Hey, try this beer. And they like fucking hated it. So they gave it to me and it was Heineken and Grosch and I like loved it. I was like, Oh my God, this doesn't taste like beer. Now, nowadays I know that it's completely disgusting beer. Disgusting, <laughs> yeah. But back then I didn't know that. Right. To me, it was like, Oh my God, this is so different. This is great. Right. So that was my first sort of exposure to beer that did not taste like beer in my opinion. Right, because I'm been drinking to like to us having like a, affording a, 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 a fucking eighteen pack of Bud Light or Miller Light was like fancy ass beer, right? We we're drinking like you said, Sol. We we're drinking Corona. We we're drinking Modelo. That's that's like nothing down there. So, so yeah, I had Heineken and Gross, and I was like, oh my god, this stuff is awesome. So from there, I uh, ended up moving to Seattle, um, and I started my cousin Richard over there started giving me Henry Weinhardt's, which eventually made it to the Carolinas. I don't know if you guys remember that a few never years ago. Never heard of that. Yeah, I've no. never heard of it. Henry Weinhardt's had distribution to the Carolinas back between like 13, 14, 15, 16. And they had billboards all over Charlotte. I don't remember that, that made, at all. This is craft beer way back from the early nineties in Seattle. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't move here to like 96. So no, I, was, I, I mean, I was no. grew up here. I don't remember seeing that at all. Yeah. So Henry Weinhardt's uh, was probably the first craft beer I ever had. Um, in Seattle, that was great. And then over there, I had a little bit of Pikes, um, but I, I wasn't a drinker. I was still kind of underage and whatnot. So then I moved back to Texas after Seattle, and again, it's going to be like both like the beer and then the music sort of journeys there. Uh, and then you know, a little older when I moved back to Texas, and you know, the whole like still drinking Mexican beer because that's what we did. We we're in Mexico, but still drinking the whole like Shiner became a thing. Pearl, oh yeah, mm-hmm. Lone Star that's in Texas, right? Thing. So yeah, yeah, but Shiner like. <laughs> The, the thing is, um, uh, Shiner and a little pot go a long way. And to this really? day, I will drink Shiner. Okay? I mean, Tommy serves Shiner. Mm-hmm. I will order yeah. a Shiner at Tommy's. Every well, like I, I haven't yeah. had a Shiner. I used to drink Shiner. Uh, Shiner, uh, Christmas Bach is one of my wife's favorite beers. Oh, it's a great yeah. uh, uh, Christmas cheer. Yeah, 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 cheer, yeah. yeah. I, so I that, think I need to retry that beer because I haven't had it in... I can't even remember. You know, you're not missing anything. Well, I'm well, sure it's very. Back when I was actually drinking beer, I wish they would have done like a bourbon barrel age or a rum barrel age or anything like that. Oh, rum barrel that age for that would be phenomenal. Because yeah. yeah, it's like pecans and peaches uh-huh. and everything. That would have been great, but uh-huh. oh well. Yeah. I love anything rum barrel aged. Yeah, me too. Mm. I do too, but I'm not, I don't really drink rum, but I like rum oh, barrel aged I'm beers. I'm a sucker for some rum, man. I'll drink rum over whiskey any day. Sorry. We know this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Ernest said, don't let you see the uh, right. Captain Morgan. Oh, I said that. It's right oh, behind it was, yeah. yes, I sorry. can see it. It's right I'm, behind I'm you. Sorry, sorry, I got sorry. it out when I was getting this Christina bowl. got yeah. it wrong. Yeah, Christine. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, it was Christina. Christina. <laughs> um, so... So I had all that and, you know, back that, that sort of opened the gate to a little bit like a Newcastle and whatnot. Um, 
my, my really, my introduction to craft beer was Sam Adams, Boston Lager in Sierra Nevada and uh, Anchor Steam. So those were like early 90s when after I had, you know, in this, and then, you know, honestly, you can really thank Heineken and Grosch for me even trying those beers. So I was like, oh, that tastes amazing. Let's go to the grocery store. What else do they have that's not Budweiser, yeah. you know, whatever. So it was the only three beers that they had in Southern Texas in the uh, uh, late 80s, early they 90s. They didn't have uh, Guinness? No. Wow. No, I actually did. It was actually, it's, it's in my notes. Guinness didn't come till the late 90s in college. Really? And okay, then ended yeah. up in a pool because we all hated it. Yeah, the uh, first time I, I tried Guinness, I tossed it in there. Yeah. In the lake. It was gross. Yeah. Uh, Pete's Wicked L. That's another one. We oh, did get yeah. Pete's Wicked L. I think L we had talked about yeah. that before. Yeah, yeah. That, that was one of those early days. I wish they were still like, around. Yeah. I wish they were still around. So actually, ironically, my fascination with craft beer, you know, kind of started there, but really started um, when I started collecting bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point I had like almost 2000 bottles and there were like these like very early on angel fire type websites that, um, you could put your bottle caps in your bottles have like a collection in this like little template. And, mm-hmm. and I had like thousands of bottles, but I had to drink all that shit in order to have those bottles. Right. Mm-hmm. So eventually the bottle collection got so big and I was enjoying the beer so much that the bottle collection kind of fell to the wayside and then I became an alcoholic. So I started drinking just a beer. <laughs> well, I start, I tried to do the same thing, but like I would in the early days of the inception of craft beer in North Carolina, I was like, well, I'm going to get a growler, a branded growler from every brewery in North Carolina. And the industry kept growing so much. I'm like, I can't keep up with this. Isn't it weird how growlers are kind of, and they, out. Yeah, nobody I mean, does growlers anymore. It was so anymore. cool. You'd bring them a growler, like, what is that? You can't even give them away. Right. No, no. Right. Somebody, if somebody gave, comes into my job with a yeah. with a with a growler, I'm like, I'm looking at it like it's an alien. Right. I gave <laughs> all of my growlers away to uh, Mojo Tempo in uh, Matthews. Now they're all hanging in their yep. windows now. But yeah. So. Ironically, my beer journey didn't start then. So, you know, then after that, I went to college in Houston and um, we didn't drink beer. We did a lot of drugs. We drank beer. But that was the first time I had Guinness and Red Wolf and Red Dog. I don't know if you guys remember those. Red oh, Dog, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Red Wolf, I think, was to a my, Texas to my stepdad. That yeah, was we awful. Are, I drank a whole case. Yeah, of that was but terrible. That was the first time I had Guinness, too. And like you said earlier, we yeah. had a four pack of Guinness that my roommate's girlfriend liked. And then, uh, but we were in Houston and the girlfriend lived in San Antonio, which is where she, they were from. So we opened a can and we all took a sip and we fucking hated it. So we just chugged all three remaining cans into the <laughs> swimming pool, which ended up being a black swimming pool. And then we got evicted. Well, back then it wasn't on nitro either. You'd open it and it would just. Oh no, it was, it was a kind of nitro. Was it? Okay. Oh, yeah. right, okay. It was still, still had the nitro. That was it. That was as far as, oh, no, that was not it, because that was a pretty big step. Um, so back then, when we, when we go back to the music portion of my life, for anybody who's interested, that's when um, behind our apartment Real complex life. was a place called Bizarre Bizarre, which was a head shop for all intents and purposes. So, you know, we used to wear the fucking everything and dress and dye our hair and do all this shit. So one time uh, we're all back in Bizarre Bazaar and I don't know, I was bored as fuck. I didn't want to be there. But next door to it was this weird shop that I'd never seen before. It ended up being a uh, homebrew store in Houston, Texas. And I walked in and I was 
pretty high, I'm sure. And the guy started talking to me about beer. And it's like, oh, what do you like? It's like, well, I've had this and this, and I like pizza, and Sierra Nevada was great, and then Christine. And he's like, started telling me all about beer. I was there for like three hours, and the guy would just not stop talking to me. So I walked away with uh, just one of those homebrew kits. And I went home back to our dark. Was apart- it Mr. Beer? No, it was like a bucket. It was like an actual, like, like a bucket. Oh, okay. Like okay. So you a little bit like They actually, like, they have, like, a, they, they would grind them there for you. Now, he sold me a kit the way, like, alternative beverage here in this town sells them. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, they would put them together there, and he would just kind of, like, gave it to me. He told me for, at that point, it was, like, 20, 25 bucks or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's nice. And it was fucking awful. It was awful. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> the worst beer I've ever Everybody's heard. first homebrew is awful. It was mine, awful. But we drank it because, like, we already spent $25 on it. So, hmm. but Eric, was it actually good or did you just think it was good because you didn't know? Eric has had pretty, pretty, a, a good exposure to craft beer before he started brewing. Okay. Okay. So he my, had a little bit of an advantage. Actually, there. like, my first five beers turned out good. My last three were terrible. So, I haven't brewed in like a year, so we'll, I'm gonna, we should do a homebrew day and do a podcast when we do it. Going to on Saturday. You guys want to come by? Okay, yeah. I won't be <sighs> here work. on Saturday. I'm know. working. Yeah, but some but, other t- brain yeah. check on that for sure. That'd be hey, that'd yeah. be fun. Yeah, it is. We should. So do, after college, yeah. I went back to Mexico, and that's no relevance to my beer history there. And then I moved to Charlotte after that, and um, I don't know how I got into crap. I mean, still, I was still collecting beer beer bottles. But eventually, uh, remember Meetup? Is that Meetup still around? Oh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I, I think I, because I, w- I think I was on their, their email list for yeah. a while. And so Meetup. Yeah, I think it died out about 2017. Yeah. So yeah. Meetup um, was a way for you to meet people. So after my divorce, um, I got married and got divorced around 2007 or something like that, maybe a little earlier. Um you know, she was not a social person. So uh, I ended up with no friends. So I was like, okay, well, I'm a very social person. So I went on meetup. And one of the things that I was very passionate about was punk and beer. So I, yeah. there were no punk and beer meetups at that point. No. There actually, there's still to this day, no punk meetups, which makes fucking sense. I don't want to start with punks that are into but craft beer either. I like, remember so saying like, I mean, I think, we're, <laughs> I think the, the three of us are sitting at this table. Yeah. This is the yeah. uh, beer and punks meetup, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think this is the yeah, the, 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 the only. Tonight, yeah, yeah. yeah this, no, I this know is it. many punks that are to just drink paps. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, back then, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Right? So I mean, I she, I mean that was my my beer of choice back in the day. It was mine too, but you know that and Rolling Rock. But oh, I, hate I know to it say was it, garbage. But, but goddamn, paps gives you the shit. So I mean, I don't know. I still drink paps. Well, I'm not. I'll, I'll drink a Pabst. I'm not, uh, well, not above it. I went to Bonnaroo in 2011. The water gives you the shit. Everything yeah. gives you the shit. Yeah, it does. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, a- anyway, you can edit that out, right? No, no leave, it in, leave, shit it in, in, leave it in. Leave it in. Leave that shit <laughs> in. Leave that shit in. Runny shit. How many years episode? Literally, keep that shit in. Yeah, keep the shit in. (laughs) Actually, I couldn't, so that's why I took it. So I signed signed up for both the the punk and the craft beer meetups, and the only thing that ever came to fruition was the craft beer meter by a gentleman named Darren Pekarski. Love him or hate him, 
He did a lot for the crappier industry here in Charlotte. So. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no clue. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. But Darren Pekarski mm-hmm. started the Charlotte Beer Club. Um, and uh, Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Yes, I do know him. Yeah. He was the guy who uh, wrote that book, right? No. No. That no, was, uh, oh, yeah, that, that, was book. Hard- that one book. That was Dennis Hardis. He wrote Daniel Hardis. Daniel Hardis. And he's he a photographer. Wrote, he didn't write it. He, he wrote, did the photography for it. He wrote two of those books. His name's on it. That's the author. So, regardless. Anyway, anyway, regardless, edit, I'm sorry, edit that I'm sorry, out. Javier. Like, leave, leave the the fart and the Continue. burps in, but just okay. edit that part. No, out. No, no, okay, no. someone wrote a book <laughs> sometime about beer. Yeah. So yeah. let's mm-hmm. let's move Daniel on. Daniel Hardis. Yeah, shout out to Daniel. I was friends with that guy for a while. So, um. So, 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 so again, uh, um, Darren started the Charlotte Beer Club, and that um, was like like member number nine. And eventually, that's where if any most of the people who started or became part of a brewery up about you know five six years ago, primarily started from just Charlotte Beer Club. Like most of the people who you think of, and I'm not gonna fucking name drop on this on this on this podcast, but a lot of those people like we were like way back in the day, like everybody was kind of hanging out and. It was cool. Well, that, uh, and then was, um, Charlotte Brewmasters too. Right. And Charlotte, right. Charlotte yeah. Brewmaster predates Charlotte Beer Club by like 20 mm-hmm. fucking mm-hmm. years. So that's like Yeah, they've been around for a long time. That. I mean, we're not going to judge you I'm for name dropping. That's cool. No, I'm not, I don't like that. So okay. regardless, so that happened. And then I started getting heavily involved in the Charlotte Beer Club. I sat in the uh, the Craft Beer Week committee for a while with, with some people that were really good to work with. Uh, we, we started, you know, October Fest way back in the day. That was really cool. And then eventually I, I eventually I became involved in actually uh, working in the beer industry, which I never thought I would. Uh, one of my first gigs was to manage Frugal McDougal, which we both went Frugal McDougal's. Um, that was great. It was not what I wanted it to be, but, but you know, it served its purpose. That's it's not I, Scottish, it's crap. That's where I, that's where I met you. So, yeah. Yeah, that's where you he met. He used to yeah. stash extra four packs of no, uh, at that point, I already KBS done behind the counter for me, so. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That was before Easily. you were gluten-free. Yeah. Uh, so that opened the doors to uh, partnering with a lot of breweries. You know, I was, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, 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 you know, brew with like RJ Rockers and Benford and uh, one uh, uh, chance to brew with Nota Brewing. Did you do a bourbon barrel age one with uh, Benford? Uh, once? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Conquest, which is no longer around. Which, is Benford still around? Or are they still oh, they're brewing big, beer? Yeah. Really? Yeah, big yeah. Lancaster. yeah they're still, still going. Good. Yeah. So brew, they, they started a barrel program with Frugal McDougal. Um, you know, it was a great, great experience. Uh, but at the same time, it was an awful experience. From there, I started working at the Carolina Beer Temple, which is great. Not shout outs yeah. to that place. Also kind of not longer around. Um, and that's where I met you. Longer. That's where you mm-hmm. met me. Yep. yep. Uh, they started brewing for Pilot Brewing, which was great. Um, I didn't meet you there. We met we before met. that. Yeah, at 26 Acres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I knew who you were. Well, two, so, so the of, thing about Amanda and I is we ran with two different circles. We ran with like the Pong sort of God mm-hmm, circle. Mm-hmm. And we also ran with like the brewers and the homebrewers circle, but we had never met. Yeah. Like, but I, we had like all these mutual yeah. friends from yeah. these two different. Yeah. So one time I went up to the brewery that she was working in and I just like, I was like, Oh, I know who that girl is. Like I, like I, I just want to meet her. Like she's like, I hear a lot about her from like a bunch of different people in different scenes. 
And I just went up to you and I said, hey, you're Amanda. And you were like, yeah. And you looked at me like, don't rape me. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm just joking. And I was like, oh, no, no. Like, it's like no, you just looked at me. It's like, yeah, that's who I am. I was like, oh, like, we know all these people. Like, you just, the I girl got to be careful these days. Yeah. You, can't, you can't be too yeah. careful. A strange man approaches you in a bar. Yeah. You have to. Hmm. I, I got to Google you yeah. and do a background check on your ass real quick. <laughs> Facebook check, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I did home brewing for many, many years to, you know, got some medals and ribbons and shit under. Um, so whatever. So that all happened. And now I am completely done with the beer industry for the most part. I don't yeah. brew. I don't home brew. I don't professionally brew. I'm not really. Involved. I've heard you mention you want to start brewing again. And uh, I say, so hey, no. we really, we need to do a home brew day. We do. I, I'll be honest. Javier makes pretty good solid beer. Um, I don't. I think he got off the that. track, and he got down on himself one two days, and he said, "All right, I'm not brewing anymore." You know, that's well, easy yeah, to do. You know, listen, that's we, very we all, easy to do. We you all, we all, we all have that those days. We don't feel like doing shit, or we don't feel like it's been brewing four again. years. <laughs> well, I haven't brewed in a year, and it's time to man. So you just gotta okay. Tell yourself to go fucking do it, man. All right, yeah. we're gonna do this. We're yeah. gonna that, yeah. that'll be a, a future uh, a future episode. episode. We could probably brew it, um, podcast collaboration. <laughs> we could probably brew at Armored Cow. I will order a gluten free uh, recipe. We can re- brew with grain. 